0: It is Thursday, and that means it's time yet again for 4's The Most Accurate Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by friend in life, John Paulson, who has been away on vacation in Hawaii. How are you doing, Paulson? Refreshed now?
1: Yeah, I was telling Sal before we came on uh, that I'm ramping into r- regular life. I think I've completed my ramp up. Uh, Monday was a little rough, but, uh, you know, Hawaii is a whole nother other thing. So I'm ready to talk some football though.
0: To to step away to Hawaii definitely creates a different reality. It's not like a typical go on a driving, like a road trip for 48 hours and then come back to your normal work schedule. You literally get to receive bliss for a week and then try to get back to reality, which is what you're in right now. But While you were away watching some beautiful sunsets and volcanoes, the NFL, I can assure you, kept moving. It refused to stop for me, unfortunately. And so what I've done here for today, Paulson, is carefully curate a list of the top 10 veterans I believe could lose value post-draft and just having a player of significant draft capital added behind them. I don't count typically fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round guys as someone who's going to make an impact immediately, but I truly believe this list of 10 players may fall off the map. And really, I don't know what you're going to say. That's why I'm so excited about this because perhaps you know the list, but perhaps you have a different opinion that they won't fall off the map. And I want to start with Alan Lazard, who's currently going as the wide receiver 51 in best ball leagues right now because we have a significant update. Sammy Watkins even just added to this roster on a one-year four-man contract. Packers, as we know, double dip at the end of the first round. And so I'm curious if, one receiver, I imagine Watkins takes two off the board, but would one rookie receiver and Watkins make you concerned about Alan Lazard moving forward?
1: Yeah, you could maybe say that this is a list of, uh, or this is a list of players that has lost value since the start of the podcast with Watkins being signed, Um, you know, impacts Lazard (laughs) a little bit. Um, I think, you know, there's been this um, kind of narrative or this, stream on twitter of people saying that lazard is you know destined to be the packers wide receiver one this year because uh aaron Rodgers is so big on familiarity and uh he's familiar with lazard and cobb and you know those two are you know who are going to get the targets and you know i don't see it that way i like Ellen lazard as a player he's a good run blocker uh he has had some big games when we needed it uh you know as a packer fan um at certain times, but he, you know, hasn't cracked 600 yards receiving in any season. Uh, He had 33 uh, for 451 and three touchdowns in 2020. That was probably his best season. It was 10 games. He averaged 45 yards per game. And I think that's sort of what in a good year he's going to do for you as a wide receiver to uh, for the Packers uh, in that offense. Um, And then I think Sammy Watkins, I don't think it necessarily takes two receivers off the table. You know, is they have four first round, uh, four two first round picks and two second round picks, so I think there's a chance that they could still use two on two of those four picks on receivers. Um, I think Watkins is an upside. Uh, let's see how he's doing. Um, it sounds like it's the deal's up to four million. It's it's probably incentive laden, uh, depending on number of snaps, depending on number of games played, that kind of thing. Because that's his issue has been. You know, staying healthy. And, uh, you know, he's an interesting guy to add to this offense. If you're looking at maybe a a first round rookie as the wide receiver one, Lazard is the two, Watkins and Cobb is the three, four. That's not too bad. Uh, You know, if you're hoping that one of Watkins and Cobb is available each week, uh, they're both getting a little bit uh, injury prone. So um, I just would like to put some cold water on the Lazard as going to be the wide receiver one. Uh, I don't think I would rather bet on a first-day receiver. I might even bet on a second-day receiver uh, ahead of him uh, in terms of targets. I think Rodgers is going to spread this ball around. It's going to be a very different offense. It's not going to be the Devontae Adams show. Uh, He's going to be running the plays as designed, going through his, uh, his reads, and throwing it to the open person. I don't think it's going to be fed to any one player, especially not Lazard.
0: I completely agree with you. And I keep coming back to the fact, not so much Sammy Watkins deterring me, but just that unless we believe Alan Lazard in hauling in all eight of his touchdowns, a career high last year. And yes, as you mentioned, a career high in starts, a career high in raw snaps as well. But overall to secure nine of his red zone catches, turn those into eight touchdowns. That's where he scored all of his touchdowns. Unless he's suddenly the next Adam Thielen and in line for a fifth year breakout, Uh, I would be concerned. So right now, I think his ADP is just fine. I know a lot of sharp people who are reaching on it, and that's okay. But I do think the value, like I said, not for Sammy Watkins, but because a rookie is absolutely going to tank him, especially because a rookie likely would play on the boundary where he's playing, whereas Sammy Watkins, we expect to be intermittently used or take over altogether for Randall Cobb in the slot. And so that's why I am shying away significantly from Alan Lazard. I want to talk about Devin Singletary as well because he came on strong in the last six games in the postseason the Bills used him as a workhorse he averaged 17 carries per game in that stretch but Buffalo is also making it known they're clearly in the market for explosiveness at the running back position as we know they made a run at JD McKissick as the receiving back before he had a change of heart and re-signing with Washington and then they've also sneakily made top 30 visits with Isaiah Spiller and James Cook as well as being infamously interested in making Brees Hall potentially the first running back off the board, which is important since Hall did average 27 catches per season in college, a la the J.D. McKissick role. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on where you were landing Singletary right now since, as it stands pre-draft, he is the RB19, I believe, a low-end RB2. Let me double-check that to make sure, but I believe it's 19.
1: Yeah. And I pulled the data and I don't know if it's due to the super flex. I have him at um, running back 31, but maybe that's okay, incorrect. Okay. No,
0: 29. I wrote that number 29, down.
1: Okay. 29, so, yeah, so we're, around pro- that we're probably range. looking at the same stuff. Um, that's interesting information in terms of the visits and what they're, because if you look at this backfield and you, know, you just look at the depth chart, it looks fine. Like they don't look like they're running back is a big need. Singletary was good for them. He's 4.6 yards per carry. Not that that's the greatest stat in the world, but he's a dual threat type guy. he, Average 17 touches per game in his final nine games, and they've got uh, Zach Moss there, who's not bad, and they added Duke Johnson, who had a good finish, and is you know every time I talk about Duke Johnson, I have to mention that he's the all-time leading rusher at the University of Miami. Um, so. You know, in a vacuum, I wouldn't think that they'd be looking at running back as a priority, but, you know, if they're making these, uh, you know, having these invites and have, doing these visits with these high-end running backs, then yes, uh, you know, day one or day two running back is going to affect his stock. And it does indicate that they're not, you know, 100% sold on him being a bell cow, uh, you know, but you look at what they did in the last season, they really fed him. Uh, and if, if he comes out of this and they don't draft a running back and, you know Thursday or Friday then I you know, I think he's going to be a f- phenomenal value at you know RB29 RB31
0: I think it would be the my biggest riser post draft honestly if he somehow escapes the draft without a running back behind him especially one on day 1 and day 2 uh we know they're in the market I already mentioned him for explosiveness but the fact that even in giving him bell cow usage that only 8% of his runs went for 10 plus yards like he was a voluminous running back for fantasy. He was not an explosive running back for fantasy. So if now we're chopping those carries in half or just taking them away altogether and also saying, you're not going to have the third down option because that's going to go to a James Cook or Brees Hall. That's extremely concerning. So I think he's on a lifeline in fantasy, and this is the one that we should all be monitoring the closest ahead of the draft because it it will like miles Gaskin just tank significantly.
1: Yeah. And, uh, the thing about him that sort of props him up is his receive, receiving yards and his, his catches. I mean, 46 and uh, last year, 51 catches a year before. So if they do bring in a pass catching back specifically, that's problematic.
0: Washington has also surprisingly been been to the market for a wide receiver at number 11, in particular, Chris Olave. I mentioned it last week on the podcast with Field Yates, but Josh Norris pointed out that Ron Rivera since 2011 had only made three personal visits with the Panthers to pro days. And he happened to make one just this past week with Washington to Ohio state's pro day, and then did not ask for a private interview with Garrett Wilson. He instead asked for a private interview with Chris Olave. So if we're connecting the dots, we think it's Olave added to Scott Turner's offense. The issue for me, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it is that we are now also taking these targets and saying how much of an upgrade is Carson Wentz over Kyle Allen? Because you can't argue an upgrade, but really, how much of an upgrade do we think that is?
1: So in preparation for this, I was looking at Carson Wentz. And, you know, I think that for 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 uh, Terry McLaren, it's his deep ball is is key. And Wentz was actually pretty good last year with the deep ball. Uh his passing was better than Heineke's. Uh, he had 47.5% adjusted completion percentage of P- PFF on deep ball attempts. That was the 12th best amongst qualified quarterbacks last year, which um, is an upgrade. Uh, so and 90.7 uh, passing grade on that, on those passes. So as bad as <laughs> the narrative is on Wentz, and he was bad at times, he does throw a pretty good deep ball and he did well last year in that regard. So I think that does help McLaurin. Uh, and then, the other fast, so like let's, let's say this is a net gain for him with with Wentz. I mean, even if it's not a huge net gain, it's a net gain. Um, if they do take a first round receiver, it's problematic again. I mean, they they are getting in theory getting Curtis Samuel back, so I'm looking at this with Diami Brown and some other players there. They don't they don't have a major major need at receiver in my opinion. So, but as you mentioned, the the tea leaves here are they're gonna they're gonna take somebody and take somebody early um so the question is, is is the pie going to grow big enough to offset you know adding a top 10 or top 12 uh, you know top you know receiver that go early in the first round i it's it's going to be tough to have mclaurin ranked you know where i had him last year or looking at him as a low under wide receiver one he'd probably be in the wide receiver two ranks i still think i'm a big fan of his game um but with carson wentz at the, at the quarterback position you got Logan Thomas. Uh, you got some pass-catching running backs there. It's just a lot of mouths to feed if you're adding an Oliva to the, to the offense.
0: From McLaurin's dynasty value, it's encouraging that we know Carson Wentz has no more guaranteed money after this year. He's essentially a veteran stopgap until they figure out what to do at quarterback. So we are hanging on to Jerry McLaurin. But I do worry, because I recall personally how frustrating it was to see Michael Pittman Weekly end up as the wide receiver 26 in fantasy points per game. Now, from Wentz, that was still better than McLaurin's wide receiver 32 ranking in fantasy points per game from Kyle Allen. So we are expecting a little bit of an upgrade. I just want to make sure that I'm not drastically getting too high on that upgrade. And right now, with a wide receiver 20 ADP, it seems like people are still somewhat high. So low end wide receiver two, you are rolling the dice a bit, but... I think I'd prefer to wait just a hair longer. Are you more in line of thinking the deep ball rate and just McLaurin's catching success is going to land him like as a, a mid wide receiver two? Is that where you would reach for him, or are you comfortable waiting until low end wide receiver three?
1: Yeah, I'd like like this is why we're talking about this before the draft. I would like to see what happens in the draft. I think that sounds pricey given what they're doing and and the, the personal interview with Alave and the, all the rumors that they're going to draft a running back, or draft a receiver early in the first round that just kind of throws his value up in the air a little bit. I mean, you're looking at a similarly, you know, similar quarterback, maybe a little bit better, but is the is the fantasy pie big enough to support the McLaurin? He was 32 last year, as you mentioned. How much, how much higher is that ceiling there with Wentz and then adding in a talented rookie?
0: Although I hate the player, I ultimately hate the ADP, so I don't mind missing the boat, especially in these next couple of weeks on McLaurin assuming they draft a wide receiver that'll obviously change post-draft and we'll have something else to talk about a player I'm not missing the boat on is Marcus Valdez-Scantling with his current wide receiver 53 ADP on underdog because even though the Chiefs are rumored to add a receiver with one of their two picks to end the first round I don't know how many will even be available that can do what MBS does on the outside like be very successful at separating downfield and getting open from deep targets for Patrick Mahomes. Right now, the Chiefs are rumored to add someone like a Christian Watson, George Pickens at the end, David Bell. And if you listen to anyone who knows about their profiles, like these are not players we should really be excited about, at least for year one, because there's a lot of raw talent that needs to be put together in the right scheme and fit. Mahomes makes everyone better, but I'm curious on your thoughts on MVS and his current going rate.
1: I think you mentioned Watson, who's a really interesting prospect, but probably not going to help right away, uh, year one or early year one. Uh, certainly for the for Valdez Scantling and Juju and McColl Hardman to be better if they don't draft a, run, a receiver early. Um, but the the Chiefs have been really active in trying to acquire people, even though they traded away uh, Tyree Kill. Uh, they've they've been seemingly trying to. You know, rope in some free agents or been, you know, thinking, you know, talking about it in the draft as well. So, you know, Valdez Scantling is not nearly as good of a route runner as Tyreek Hill, but he can replace some of the deep ball stuff that Tyreek is able to do and really well. They're both super fast, and Valdez Scantling is super fast, and he's pretty big. And I think he's better than McCool Hardman. Uh, McCool Hardman might take a step forward this year, but I'm sort of tired of waiting. Uh, you know, he couldn't really beat out Demarcus Robinson. Uh, Byron Pringle last year, so I, I think he's the clear three right now. And you're looking at Juju as probably the leading uh, target getter at the receiver position, with Kelsey obviously eating a lot of, of a lot of targets, and then Valdez Scantling working in for like five to seven targets uh, with you know a lot of air yards. Um, it was interesting to see Matt Harmon's uh, reception perception profile in Valdez Scantling, and it basically. Uh, looked good when he was going deep and not a lot of else, you know, going well for him. Uh, He, he was, I thought he improved this uh, this last year specifically. And the big thing, I think in the end result was that he didn't have a single drop this year. And this has been something that has plagued him all his career and he didn't have a drop this last year. So he cleaned that up and he did, he did have some big games. They were always looking for him and they were always dialing up some deep shots for him. And, I noticed a lot of times where he's running free, beat his man, and then Rodgers misses him by a few yards. And I don't know if it's Valdez Scantling's fault or if it's the, the back-to-back MVP's fault, uh, but they were not connecting deep consistently. And that's been something that's been going on since MVS landed in Green Bay. Um, so it, you know that'll be interesting to see if that changes with Mahomes if they have a better rapport or better ability to connect deep. But he is always open when he goes deep, I mean, not always, but very frequently open. He can really fly and he's big as well. So if he has decent shows, decent hands, he's going to have some big games and he's another one of these better in best ball type guys where you're going to enjoy those big games from him. If you draft him in best ball, you don't have to worry about starting him every week.
0: I always talk about archetypes of a player of his profile and that we want the deep targets, right? We want chase Claypool, but the issue is when you're getting, three deep targets per game or three targets per game, that's different than being a deep player like James Washington, like MBS, and then suddenly getting seven to nine targets per game. Because now we're adding in the high upside in those deep targets combined with volume. That's money right there. And so I want to be ahead of this thinking that if they add one of these players, the Chiefs, that they're rumored to grab, I don't think they'll dent MVS's role in this offense. And so that's where I'm leaning right now. I believe we should be ahead of him. A player of opposite profile, and it's interesting because right now, with Cordero Patterson and the Falcons, I'm curious to get your thoughts because the Falcons are rumored, for one, to draft a quarterback. They're all over the board because they need help all over the place. Uh, (laughs) I'm not of the belief that they're going to add a quarterback with the number eight pick, if only because I think in restructuring Matt Ryan's contract before he was dealt, I think that was a message they were trying to tell us, that they weren't happy with this class, and they were happy to keep him until the Colts – persuaded them to send him along but I do think they're looking for the next Calvin Ridley replacement knowing they had a deal in place with the Eagles before everyone backed out because Ridley's year-long suspension came down and if that's the case if they add a receiver here a Garrett Wilson a Chris Olave, then I'm curious to get your thoughts on Cordero Patterson because we got rugged on him last year and that in his first eight games nine carries and six targets that's what we want from our RB2, our wide receiver twos. We want the that type of dream Debo Samuel usage and the carries and the targets voluminous across the board. But then when he came back from injury across his last seven games, 11 carries and three targets. And so that as a between the tackles grinder, who sometimes mixes in on third down, that's not what we want from our RB twos because the floor is significantly lower. And so where will you be drafting Cordero Patterson if they happen to add a wide receiver?
1: That's an interesting question. Cause I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting what, you know, um, a question about the, you know, them adding a, a running back. Cause I think that's probably the bigger, I mean, I think his receiving role is probably safe, safe ish. Right. Um, I think the the issue is do they draft a you know first second down grinder because he you know he's not you don't want to run him up the middle 10 times and Mike and Davis is when ahead. they did do that when they
0: turned him into the between the tackles grinder he was obviously bad at it because that's not what he does remember the bears tried that for 2 years and that's not what he does well at all
1: Yeah you want to use him sparingly there and then a lot as a receiver and then get you him know, get him outside if you can and um so I think ideally he gets into a committee where there's a, you know, a, a between the tackles grinder type on first and second down, taking some of those carries. And then you're bringing him in on high leverage stuff in red zone. Cause they did do that last year. They brought him in in the red zone and uh, he was pretty adept at scoring touchdowns as, as well. So that was the weird thing is, you know, towards the end of the season, his snaps started to dry up. And I don't know if they were just kind of ramping down the season not wanting to overdo it with them uh, they I, I don't know when they were out of the playoff hunt um, it seems like they were in it for longer than it seemed <laughs> um, but you know they I, I you know I wouldn't be that worried there, there are so many targets up for grabs in Atlanta and the receiver position is is so desperate I mean they're just adding wide receiver three four types bird and Hodge I think and you know they just have a bunch of depth there and no stud. Um, that with Pitts is the primary pass catcher right now. If they added a, a bona fide wide receiver, one, I don't know that, that would kill Patterson. I think um, I'm more worried about a three-down back that might just push him off the field completely. They did give him a pretty good two-year deal, like five million yep. a year. It's you know that's starter money, so I think they do have a, a plan in mind for him. And um, you know, as a in a PPR format, and you're looking at him in the fifth, sixth round. That's not bad at all.
0: Let's take a quick timeout, and we'll be right back with our last five players. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100%. Literally mirror it. And there are no catches. Just download the Underdog app. Use the promo code 444 when depositing. That's the number four, word, the number again, and presto. A two-part question as we enter the final turn here, and that's because DeAndre Hopkins right now being treated as a low-end wide receiver one despite Christian Kirk's departure. Wide receiver 12, ADP on underdog. And this is a two-part question because NFL Network's Mike Garofolo reports the Cardinals have yet to make a contract offer to Kyler Murray whose agent, Eric Burkhart, informed the organization weeks ago he was pulling his opening proposal off the table altogether. We also know on Thursday afternoon, Adrian was re-signed to a one-year deal after leading the team with 17 red zone targets and 11 opportunities inside the 10. All those money targets, we want to go elsewhere to DeAndre Hopkins or Rondell Moore, who you're excited about. So basically what I want to ask, since we also know that the Cardinals are looking at offensive skill players, wide receiver in particular, with the 21st, or in the middle of the 20s in the first round, what would another receiver being added to this roster do for DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore for you? Would it matter at all? And does A.J. Green's addition, re-signing, also tank Rondell Moore or Hopkins for you?
1: Uh, yeah, in 2020, he averaged 10, uh, Hopkins averaged 10 targets per game, and that's the sort of usage you want for him. Uh, mm-hmm. And then last year, that dropped to 6.4 targets per game. And I was catching some flack early in the season for having him ranked lower than my peers. And why you know, why isn't Hopkins being ranked as a wide receiver one? Well, the, the volume just wasn't there. The targets weren't there. They, they were spreading the ball around. Green got some. Rondell Morgan came in and got some. Christian Kirk was getting quite a few. Uh, they were throwing to the tight ends uh, fairly consistently, whether it was Max Williams early or uh, Zach Ertz later on in the year and uh Hopkins role just wasn't there. I mean, he's dropping his targets drop 35%, that's bad. Uh I think heading into this question prior to the green signing, I was starting to think that Hopkins was probably in line for a bounce back year because you're looking at him as the number one receiver there clearly with, you know, Rondale Moore as possibly the two and um, you know, Wesley maybe as the three and Ertz as the tight end who's getting 5 to 7 targets per game, but Now you're adding green back in. And as you mentioned, he was very big in the red zone uh, for them. So it's starting to, you know, if they also draft a receiver, it's starting to look bad and looking like Hopkins is back in that mid to low range wide receiver two type. Uh, I mean, I think there is some benefit there here that he could be fully healthy again and back to his usual productive self in the targets he's given. But, you know, it looks like the days of him getting double digit targets per game are are, are some. Maybe gone at this point with uh, with Green coming back and uh, potentially a rookie added as well.
0: If they were to add someone like Traylon Burks, uh, an ex- exciting rookie for us, anyways, fantasy wise, and also that we know can be a gadget player if they choose to use him like that, would that ruin the Rondell Moore steam for you, or are you still believe her right now?
1: Well, Rondell doesn't do or hasn't done much downfield, and right. you know, looking that at one point
0: uh, seven a dot is uh, not helpful for fantasy.
1: And it, it, you know, and I like Matt Harmon's work and you you look at his rookie profile and it's just, he's, he's a guy that's going to get the ball around, you know, line of scrimmage and try to make something happen. And so it sort of depends on how much he's on the field. If he's, if he's able to play and he's, you know, sort of a quote unquote starter, which now with greenback, I don't know that, that you can really count on that. Um, because they like Wesley as well and that they bring him in and they use, they use Rondale when he's on the field. Um, I think the fact that uh, Kirk is out of the way because Kirk played so much in the slot that Moore's production there, you know, role there could grow quite a bit. Um, But with green back, you're starting to, you're, you're, it's, it takes a hit on his upside, I think. So now we're going into the draft and he's might, might add another receiver that would, but I know they really like Rondale. So, you know, I don't know that, you know, with Green back, they're going to be really targeting a receiver in the first two days. And if they don't, then I think his role's fairly safe. I mean, I think he probably plays 60, 70% of the snaps. And that could lead to a pretty some pretty good games for him because they do use him when he's on the field.
0: I agree. I'm still very high on Rondo Moore. And re signing AJ Green, I immediately ran to update our available targets and air yards tracker. And the Cardinals did lose significant. Vacated targets, right? Because they re signed AJ Green from last year's production. Thus, they have the 16th middle of the pack wide receiver targets missing from last year, 103 total, which is essentially Christian Kirk's volume. And so, yep. we are hoping for better or worse that Cliff Kingsbury stays true to his word and will literally plop Rondell Moore in the ex- exact spot, the slot that Christian Kirk was used last year. And they're just going to run him like that. And that's something because I know the type of ceiling and profile that Moore has, I still want to bank on. And if it comes back to screw me, so be it, because I want to be ahead on players with his explosiveness. Also, with the Cardinals, is that they could be adding a running back day one or perhaps even day two. Uh, Both Brees Hall and James Cook have been rumored. They did re-sign Jonathan Ward to a one-year deal. I know people in Underdog are also excited about Eno Benjamin as like a very last-round pick, and I've spent dumber picks on players other than Eno Benjamin, so it's no big deal. Uh, Your last-round pick should just make you happy. I don't care who it is. But at the same time, like the fact James Conner, 20 touches, five targets per game last year, and five starts without Chase Edmonds, a high draft capital running back may make us worry since Conner's ADP has finally surged to RB18 overall. Started out low. It's now settling where it should be. So what are your thoughts if the Cardinals were to add a running back behind James Connor?
1: Well, I think if they don't, he's undervalued there. And I think that's why he's sitting there in the in the RB2 rankings as people think that they're going to add somebody. You know, I I again, this is where I have a tough time separating what pe- what teams should do and what teams will do. And I don't mm-hmm. think that the the Cardinals should be using a premium pick on a running back. I think Connor's uh, plenty capable and there are guys that can come in and fill in if necessary um, but if they do it's it, you know if they get a premium running back in and they're gonna use use them like they used Edmonds and Connor when they were together last year then Connor is sort of devolving into uh, you know the primary carry guy the primary goal line back, and you know not getting a whole lot of third down uh, usage receptions decrease as well if they bring in a pass catcher because that's what basically Edmonds was doing last year and they were when they were both healthy you know connor's upside was basically in his touchdowns and he scored a lot of touchdowns last year so um we should sort of see who they bring in uh and the skill set that they bring in and if it's a pass catcher then we might be back to where we were last year
0: i'm going to stay strong and overweight on connor Connor, Leonard Fournette, and Cam Akers are still the three running backs. I want to make sure I keep piling on until until ADP catches up with what I believe is their correct number. And right now, in my opinion, they're still behind on that. Moving on to the Patriots, we don't have to talk about the Cardinals, fortunately, anymore. Uh, We're now talking about Patriots wide receivers, which I'm sure you are very confused about because I put Jacoby Myers in the list for you to discuss. And it's more about... The Patriots being involved, Bill Yates even hinted to it on last week's show. when we discussed draft rumors. He thinks they still go skill player after the Devonte Parker trade. Since all these big money deals they did in off season last year, they basically structured Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, and Jonu Smith to be done in two to three years. So they could void the contracts and get out of it. So there is room to allow a raw green talent to grow behind Parker and in that offense with Matt and Jones this year. And so, From a stance on whether or not they draft a rookie, like what do you think about Jacoby Myers and his two career touchdowns since they did add Devontae Parker?
1: Uh, You know, Parker coming in there, I think hurts Myers and Bourne. I mean, I think that's, but you're kind of wondering as you head into the next season, like they're going to have to add somebody, whether it's in the draft or, you know, free agent, probably. I mean, they're probably not going to go into the season with Myers, Bourne, and Aguilar again. But when you look at the four guys they have Myers, Parker, Bourne, and Aguilar, they're kind of similarly talented, similarly fan, you know, as far as fantasy production, about the same. You know, you kind of look at them as 40 to 60 yard guys, and you know, they have different skill sets. Uh, certainly, you know, Aguilar thrived in a deep role for the, uh, the for the Raiders a couple seasons ago, and you know, Myers just doesn't score touchdowns, and you know, Bourne is kind of a touchdown maker when they do use him, but he sees like four to five targets a game, so he's. So I think that they. I think this is another team that could go into the season and not really do anything else at the receiver position. They have four pretty good guys. and um, But if they do, you know, they've had bad luck drafting receivers early, and I don't know if they're going to spend a high pick or a lot of draft capital on one, I don't know. Um, but they probably want to support Mac Jones, and give him a stud to to grow with. And if you're talking about somebody that can kind of grow uh, you know, you're probably thinking somebody that's a little bit raw and you're probably going to have a tough time getting on the field ahead of these guys who have experience, and uh, three of them have experience in the offense and all that. So we'll see who they who they add. Um, but again, this is a team where I don't know that they're going to necessarily go out and just spend that draft capital on, a, on the receiver unless, you know, they feel like they have they have to get him a, a Randy Moss type or, you know, not that that exists in this draft, but, a, you know, a stud receiver to kind of grow with Mac Jones. Devontae Parker at
0: least adds the red zone presence red zone, they yeah. wanted from the kill Harry this entire time. Like that's where I keep coming back to Parker, but overall I've actually, I've, I've, even though he has schooled Stefan Gilmore from time to time and their matchups between the Dolphins and Patriots games, uh, i have still have never been really a Parker, not a believer, but he got his large extension from eight games, a stretch with Ryan Fitzpatrick, whenever Preston Williams was injured his rookie year. Until the time Preston Williams got injured that year, uh, Williams actually led Parker in targets on the team per game because, like, Williams was genuinely becoming the better player and then not as an explosive explosive player, player who actually needed all of his speed, that tore ACL's rookie year, just tanked his career from there. Um, and so I still worry about Parker, but will they feed him in the red zone and then thus he delivers fantasy points for it? sure, but I still don't mind being behind him on ADP. Someone I don't know, though, I need to get your opinion on Devontae Smith because the Eagles, with one of their two picks in the first round, mid-first, I believe they're definitely adding wide receiver. Where they go from there, who knows? I think still cornerback, but if they add a wide receiver, it was hard enough, recall, starting Devontae Smith in a run-first offense from Jalen Hurts' downfield inaccuracy. So, like, what do we do if we're adding another receiver, strong receiver in the first round to the mix, and then saying, like, one of you have to survive. Jalen Hurts is throwing.
1: Yeah, I looked at his ADP, and he's, you know, the data that I saw at wide receiver 29 right now. He's ahead of Marquise mm-hmm. Brown and Amon St. Brown, which is surprising. Adam Thielen, which is surprising. Uh, I, th- I think I like Devonta Smith a lot. I think he's a really good route runner, really good receiver. But as you mentioned, he's paired with, uh, kind of a running quarterback uh, and you know he needs to improve that quarterback play for him to really take off and I think Smith's second season he's going to improve he's going to be better but if you're adding a number day one type receiver that's trouble uh, you're you, how big is the fantasy pie and you've got Dallas Goddard as well quiz Watkins is not bad at all he's probably going to be the third receiver there seems like they're giving up on Jalen Rager um, so It certainly depends on who that is, how raw they are, how pro ready they are, because if they're out there uh, garnering targets and sort of a run heavy offense where the quarterback also takes off and runs a lot, uh, it's just not going to be enough fantasy points available for Devonta Smith to to return that, you know, solid wide receiver three value.
0: It's also frustrating because you know what they're doing. You know, they're adding another elite receiver to the mix, getting ready for the quarterback of the future. They draft next year. And so like, Even when we have these numbers sifted and figured out, it doesn't matter at all because then they're just going to change quarterbacks and get someone from next year's class. And finally, I want to end with Corey Davis because right now there is a lot going on among the Jets receivers. We know Jameson Crowder left to the Bills and we also know Braxton Barrios. so they re-signed for good money, 12 million. uh, Average 7.9 targets per game and the few starts he made without Crowder last year. But at the same time, The Jets have been hard in the wide receiver market, reportedly trying to trade for Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown. They were on Tyreek Hill as well. They have Jameson Williams, another speedster that fits the wideback usage that Salah, McDaniel all get from the Shanahan tree and just wanting to add an elite athlete that can add Yak to the offense. So Jameson Williams, number one on their board. They'll have a chance to draft him at number four, maybe number 10. But overall, like, they're trying very clearly to add a receiver with one of their first two picks at number 4 and number 10. So what happens to you? I wrote Corey Davis in the show notes, but Corey Davis is just an analogy for Jets receivers. Like what happens here among all of these guys including everyone's favorite Elijah Moore?
1: Yeah, I mean I think Corey is the one that goes to the bench. So he's, you know, if you if they bring in another stud type, uh, I think they want Elijah Moore on the field. I think they actually want Barrios on the field as the slot receiver. And I think it's weird because Corey Davis, they just gave him a big contract uh, and he had a so, so year. He was the injured. same regime too. Like the,
0: the same coaching yeah. staff from the top. Yeah, down. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So they like, they identified something with him in his final season with Tennessee and then brought him in for a lot of money. And then, you know, I think he played nine games and he had some big games and he had, he had some games where he just flat out disappeared. So, uh, to see that they're in on all these big names, like really trying to make a splash. I mean, they're not just trying to add like a, you know, a good receiver. They're trying to add like top notch receivers. That tells me they want somebody to pair with Elijah Moore, Barry Oster on the slot. And then Davis goes to depth and, you know, they can't, I guess maybe they can't count on him being healthy and they want to use him, you know, in a lower snap role based on uh, what he, what they saw last year. So uh, I certainly you know as much as the Jets have been involved in rumors with all these different teams and all these different receivers I'd certainly expect them to target a receiver early and that you know that's why I'm just not on Davis at all I think Moore is probably okay um, you know obviously it'd be better for him if they don't draft a receiver early because then he can kind of work into that stud role uh, but if they do bring in another first round receiver then more, you know is going to take a little bit of a hit because it's not I mean it's still the Jets offense right now Zach Wilson has some upside but um, this is not like a high uh, octane passing attack where he can support two or three, you know, fancy receivers. And I think Berrios is going to end up being sort of the, and for, as far as PPR is concerned, kind of a thorn in the side of fantasy owners who don't have him or who have more or who have whoever the rookie is that they draft because he's going to be a he gets open and he ends up producing when he's on the field. They hand him the ball sometimes, in the, even in the red zone, and he's just going to be that guy. It's like, oh, Bar- another Barrios touchdown or another Barrios game where he had 12 fantasy points and kind of ate into the rest of the receiver's production.
0: So you are ranking them Elijah Moore, Barrios, rookie Corey Davis.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the rookie potentially could leapfrog uh, Barrios, depending on who it is. Um, but I think Barrios is just going to be. I'm just kind of predicting he's going to be that a, the look kind of like Hunter Renfro headache, where he, he, you know, he's going to go undrafted or he's going to be the wide receiver five or wide receiver six, and he's going to end up having a pretty good PPR season and could end up top 30. Um, but it sort of depends on who they end up drafting and how well uh, Zach Wilson progresses.
0: That's why Jameson Williams is so interesting with one of those picks because. After a January injury, we also know he probably won't be ready for week one or at least be brought along slowly since long-term is in mind and having such high draft capital with him. But we will wait to see. Good luck to all ten veterans who we just talked about because now we put the curse on you. So until then, Paulson, welcome back from Hawaii. We'll be back with you in a couple weeks. Next week, one more round of guests before the actual NFL draft takes place. Thursday, April 28th. So until then, thanks everyone for tuning in. We will see you next time. Be on the lookout for my mock draft Friday morning at billsport.com.